This is James Moore, pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri, praying this audio message will be a blessing to you. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. Hey, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in a new teaching series that I'm calling Summer Road Trip. Um, I need to know before we get started what kind of people we have in the room. So by a quick show of hands, how many of you have been on a road trip before? Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, How many of you love road trips? Can I see you? Okay, you guys like the cars. How many of you hate road trips? If there's a flying option, you are in a plane, okay? Very good, very good. Um, How many of you have the ability to sleep in a moving vehicle? How many of you got that skill conquered? How many of you say, no matter what, I have control issues, I am not sleeping while somebody else drives? Yes, yes, I know you people. Um, How many of you prefer to be a passenger on a road trip? Anybody? How many of you prefer to be the driver? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the men are like, I'm not going to sit there. Uh, how many of you um, on a road trip are picky about what music you listen to? Anybody? Anybody? You got you to gotta, you gotta rock the radio? Yes, yes. No, this is good. This is good. So for me, like growing up, if my family was to go on vacation, it was going to be a road trip. And do you know why? Because we had no money. That's right. It was cheap. You had to go. If we were going to go somewhere, it was going to be in the car. It cost too much to do anything else. And who would have ever thought that gas would be as expensive as it is now? Road trips today cost more money than ever. It's funny when I'm like, all right, gas has only got a three on the front. (laughs) What's happened to our world? Anyway, so when I would go on these road trips with my family back in the day, um, this was before streaming audio. There was no Spotify, there was no Apple Music, there was no Pandora, you didn't have a cell phone, it was like a bygone era, and some of you are like, yes, I remember the good days. No satellite radio, in fact, there was no CDs. You guys remember cassette players? Yes, so my dad liked music, he had a ton of record albums, so what my dad would do is he would make a mix cassette for the road trip, and inevitably, he would label all of them. He had like the ultimate collection, and it was like seven parts, part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and they had like these zipper cases. Do you remember those that all the cassettes would go in so that the sun wouldn't melt them? And inevitably, he would have one tape that was called Driving Music, and of all of the cassettes, that was my least favorite one. It was some weird jazzy thing, and like, I don't know if he pictured himself like in a, a movie driving with this soundtrack, and I don't know, but it was always in the car, and so in my family, dad always drove. Um, dad, I think, has control issues. You guys have met my dad. He's not one to just, hey, I'll just pass out in the passenger seat unless it's like has to happen. Um, and so what mom did, mom had an especially uh, important role. She had to take care of lunch because remember, we had no money. So lunch was going to take place in the car while we were driving because we were going to make great time. So somewhere in the car, there was a little cooler that had some ice in it. Inside of there, you'd have found some ham, some mustard, some mayonnaise because you have to have options and you would have some cheese, but then you can't put the bread in the cooler. So where did the bread end up? the back window. And that was always cool unless it was super sunny. And then the sun would toast the top half of the bread. And then you'd have this half hard sandwich and this half soft sandwich. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So my mom, she would crawl into the back seat at some point in time and she'd start asking everybody, what do you want? And so you had two options, a ham sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly. And so of course I was the peanut butter and jelly kid. And so we made the most of these road trips. And and there's things that happen on road trips that help you to learn some things. You always learn something on a road trip. You learn something about the places you go. 
Every place is unique. There's something special about it. You learn something new about the place that you go. But more important, more exciting, is you learn something about people, especially the people who are on the trip with you. And if you're paying attention, you'll learn something about yourself. But for me, my family, they like to play games in the car to pass the time. And like, I would get in trouble if I ever said I was bored. So like, you never said that even if you were, that was just a big no-go. So we would play games. Um, how many of you guys ever did the alphabet game? You're looking at billboard signs and you gotta like get your letters and whoever gets the Z first wins. That was a fun one, that passed a lot of time. The other one my parents liked was password. You guys remember password? The password is. And you would have like this little blue thing and it had like a red screen so you could see the hidden word. And so dad's trying to see it while he's driving. And we all had to figure this out. And you'd have one word clues you'd have to get to get the game going. That was what we did. And so we learned stuff about each other on road trips. Uh, we learned who was impatient on the road trip, who continued to ask, hey, are we there yet? We had other people who were distracted sometimes driving. <laughs> I already told you, Dad always drove. There's these bumpy things on the side of the road that means that you're getting off the road. Sometimes those get hit because you ain't paying attention. Um, other people, you find out what music they like and dislike. You find out what kind of food people like and snacks. You even find out how frequently other people need to use the bathroom. You learn all sorts of stuff about people on a road trip. Some people are messy. Some people are clean. You learn so much. And if you're paying attention, you'll learn just how impatient you are. You'll also learn how judgmental you can be of the other people in your vehicle and those driving in cars around you. And so you find lots of things out when you're on a road trip. Well, here's the deal. This morning, I want us to look at a Bible story found in 2 Kings chapter 5 that involves a road trip. Now, since we didn't live in the Middle East, we're not, you know, Rand McNally, we don't understand Google Maps very well, we don't always comprehend when we read the Bible the distances that people traveled in the Bible. Uh, oftentimes we'll read what city they're from, we'll struggle to pronounce it, and then we'll see where they're going, but we have no idea how far that is away, what are the cultural implications, we, we don't quite get that. But there's so often that people had to travel in the Bible, and it was like a road trip, but they didn't have a gas-powered or electric-powered vehicle. It was horse-powered. It was just a true horse. There was no engine. And so if you can imagine road trips back in the day, I don't think would have been much fun. Setting on a horse for a long period of time, no thank you. No paved streets, no convenience stores, no plumbing, no bottled water. No, it wouldn't be good, but that's what we find in the Bible because it was a different time period. And so the story that we're going to look at today is a story that I've actually spoken from in the past. About four years ago, I preached from the same text, but today I want to kind of pull a different application as we read the story of Naaman. Everybody say Naaman. Naaman. All right. So 2 Kings chapter 5, we'll put this on the screen so you can follow along. This is the New Living Translation. The king of Aram, which is also Syria had great admiration for Naaman. Why? Who was he? Well, Naaman was the commander of his army. And so the king thought because through him the Lord had done, given Aram great victories, but through Naaman was a mighty... Let's start that over. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through Naaman the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, guess what? He suffered from... Leprosy. Everybody say, ooh. Verse 2. At this time, Aramean raiders, wait a second, these guys are from 
Aram. Aramean raiders would have been people under the command of Naaman. They had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. He would heal him of his leprosy. Wild. Check this out. So, Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Verse 5, here's what the king told him. He says, go and visit the prophet. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, get this, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. I would love to have those things. The letter to the king of Israel, remember the king sent him with a letter. Here's what the letter said. With this letter, I present my servant Naaman, and I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Well, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. So you got to realize these countries are already at war. Now he's thinking this is some, you know, Trojan horse coming in here. He's sending the commander of his army in here. He's just trying to pick a fight. But check this out. Verse 8 says that when Elisha, the man of God, isn't that the coolest subtitle? I don't know what your subtitle would be. Quirky head. Patriots fan. Like you have like a subtitle. This one, way better. Elisha, the man of God, he heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay. You know what he did? He sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman, apparently he got the message, went with his horses and chariots and his silver, and his gold, and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha didn't answer the door. Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. Pay attention here. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, which is where he's from, the Abana and the Farpar, aren't they better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And so, so Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Verse 13, good thing he had some people on the road trip with him. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. Verse 14, big word, so. Like Naaman took this in. Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. So we're going to hit pause on Naaman's road trip here 
for some of you, this might be your first introduction to Naaman. Kind of a crazy story. Over the past 10 days, I have been on two road trips. My first road trip was with my dad going to Rochester, Minnesota, so that I could get some tests done and check in with my doctor at the Mayo Clinic. My second road trip was to Colorado Springs with my varsity cross-country team from Smithville High School. On that trip, there were 16 of us, and uh, we had a blast running on mountain trails, training at altitude, touring the Garden of the Gods, and we even completed all 2,744 steps of the Manitou Incline. Anybody done that? It's the wildest thing in the world. So if you don't know what this is, there is a mountain, and they decided to put a staircase on it, and you walk the staircase. From the bottom to the top, you go through about 2,000 feet of elevation. So at the bottom, you're like, hey, I can breathe pretty good. About halfway up, you're like, man, the air's getting thin. <laughs> at the top, you're like, oh, I can't breathe. So I got a couple pictures for you. Here's a picture of me about halfway up it. Uh, you can see the end line there. So that's looking towards the top, way at the top. You think that's the top. It keeps going a little bit further. And so I've got, you know, 12 high schoolers out here. I've got my coaches. I've got some college students with me, making sure everybody is okay. So then I turn the camera around, and this is the picture looking back down. And so uh, way down there at the bottom, uh, that's the parking lot. It's that little white spot above that guy's shoulder. Um, so, yeah, you would just walk. And so, man, it was intense. Like every step, you're, I'm not moving fast, but my heart just racing. It's like I'm running. I was like, I think I'm going to take a break and get a water. <laughs> and so uh, it, it, it was awesome. My entire team made it. Everybody succeeded. Here's the picture of us finally at the top. You can see on the left the staircase that goes all the way down to the little Manitou Spring City at the bottom. And we all survived. Every one of us, even my assistant coaches, they took some time, but they got up there. Uh, I love my assistant coach down here in the bottom left. Uh, her name's Tiffany Reed. She's 58 years old and she's done some hundred milers and she was like, this was a challenge. And so she was smart. She brought some sticks and just caught up that thing. So that was our squad. That was our team. We had a blast. And so these last 10 days, I've spent a lot of time in vehicles. And in those vehicles, I've had a lot of time to think. And what have I been thinking about, you ask? I know you want to know. <laughs> Here's what I've been thinking about. With both of these road trips, I found myself with anticipation. There was this anticipation in me for the trip, for what was going to happen, for how it was going to play out. And, and, and this morning, I want to make a distinction between anticipation and expectation. And, and I get that most of us use these words interchangeably, anticipation and expectation. We think that they're kind of the same thing, and most of the times we use them interchangeably, but I think that there's actually a distinction that can be made between these two, and I think there's something for us to learn if we can make this distinction. So for today's message, here's how I'm going to define anticipation. Anticipation is an excitement for the unknown to become known. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm excited to find out what's going to happen. There's anticipation, where expectation, on the other hand, it's more so the belief that something specific will happen in the future. I'm expecting that this will happen. And so I can see how we can always, you know, man, it seems like they go hand in hand, anticipation, expectation. But anticipation is just more open to whatever may happen, and there's an excitement for it, where expectation limits its excitement to one specific outcome. So, for example... On my road trips, I found myself on multiple occasions on the highway with a semi-truck that was pulling a trailer that was designed for animals. 
on a couple times I passed like a, a truck that was pulling a horse trailer. And in me, I found myself being filled with anticipation. I wonder what kind of animals are in the truck. I don't know what kind of animals are in the truck, but I'm curious to see if there's animals in the truck. And if there are animals in the truck, what kind of animals are they? And so I found myself with this anticipation. I didn't have an expectation that it was going to be pigs, or it was going to be a horse, or it was going to be black beauty. I didn't have a specific expectation. I just had this anticipation. And here's the funny thing. Every trailer I passed was empty. They never had anything in them. But here's the deal. I was never disappointed. Why? Because I did not have expectation. I just simply had anticipation. I was excited for the unknown to become known, and when I saw that the truck was empty, the unknown was known, and I was still happy. All right, let's do a second example of what expectation might be like. On my trip to Colorado, I ended up eating at a restaurant I'd never tried before called Fuzzy's Taco Shop. In fact, I ended up eating there three times throughout the week. Uh, that's what happens when you go out to eat with high schoolers. They're like, well, let's go there again. Um, so here's the deal. At Fuzzy's, once you order your food, they give you this buzzer. And when the buzzer goes off, that means you can go up to the window and you can grab your food. Some of you guys have been to Olive Garden back in the day and you had to wait to be seated and they give you the buzzer. It's the same thing, except instead of waiting to get seated, as soon as this goes off, boy, you get to eat. This is exciting. And so I had great expectation. I had lots of expectations with my little buzzer. So for one, I was expecting the buzzer to go off soon because this was like a fast food place. In fact, I expected the buzzer to go off for me before everybody else at my table because I ordered before everybody else. And I expected that when it would go off that I would go and pick up exactly what I ordered. Not somebody else's order, not something different. And I expected it to be good because I paid more for it than I wanted to. I had lots of expectations, specific things that I wanted to happen. And if one of those things didn't happen, guess what? I was going to be a little irritated. I was not going to be happy. I didn't want your buzzer to go off before my buzzer. I ordered before you. I should get my food first. I wanted my food to be hot. They should be cooking it. I wanted it to be delicious. I had expectations. Do you see the difference between expectation and anticipation? It's subtle, but there's a huge, important distinction that we need to make. Expectation imagines a specific outcome for the future, and it limits its excitement to that one outcome. Anticipation, on the other hand, is excited about any future outcome. So this morning, here's my encouragement. You're going to hear me say it a lot. I want to encourage you to approach the future with more anticipation and less expectation. This may be hard for some of you to get your minds around, to embrace, but listen, I'm advocating for more anticipation, more excitement for the unknown to become known, and less expectation, believing for some specific thing to happen in your life that may or may not happen. See, on my road trip to Colorado, driving nine hours each way with a group of high schoolers, I was filled with anticipation. I didn't specifically know what was going to happen on the trip, but I was excited to find out. Because when you put a bunch of high schoolers in a van together for nine hours, something's bound to happen. I don't know if it's going to be fun. I don't know if it's going to be drama, but something's going to happen. And I was excited to find out what was going to go down. In the same way, when I uh, w left on my road trip to the Mayo Clinic, some of you guys have known for the last couple of years, I've had some health things. Uh, my body's not really worked very well. I had about a year that I couldn't run, couldn't do a lot, had balance issues. And um, it's been really exciting for the past year to have experienced God's healing in my body. 
And so the fact that I could go to Colorado and I could run with a bunch of high schoolers at altitude and outdo some of them is a praise to God. And so I'm on this rhythm and routine in which I have to go back regularly to get some scans to make sure my body's still working. And they said, here's the deal, Alex, your body might actually not be working and you not know it. And so we're going to do these MRI scans to let you know. And so there's anticipation when I go to the doctor because I know that I could be diagnosed with a lifelong incurable disease. I also know that I could be given good news that there is no lifelong incurable disease. When I approach the doctor, when I approach that trip, I'm full of anticipation, but not expectation. See, I'm anticipating finding out what's unknown and it becoming known, and I'm excited to find out what's the future going to be for me. Is it walking out? a lifelong incurable disease, that would be new and exciting. Or am I going to get this report that your body still works and I get to walk out my life with a body that still works? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. Anticipation. See, the difference would be if I approached my doctor with expectation and I expected to have a bad report, that's one thing, or I expected to have a good report, all of a sudden I'm setting myself up in a whole different mindset with a whole different point of view. And so I didn't walk into the Mayo Clinic with an expectation of a good report or a bad report. I expected to be given a report, but not a specific one. And so I was full of that anticipation of what the report would be and how it would impact my future, how it would impact my family, how it would impact my boys, how I would then relate to others with whatever it was. Would I be placed on a new medication? Would I be placed on an old medication? Would I be placed on no medication? Would I be given life-altering news? Or would I be given news to celebrate? I don't know, but I'm excited. And so while I didn't know what the future held, while I wasn't expecting a specific outcome, I was excited, good or bad, for the unknown to become known. And see, I think what most of us in this room agree on is that God loves us and he has a plan for our life. If you don't know that, let me tell you something. God loves you and he has a plan for your life. Now, I want to encourage you. That's true. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. Live that truth with anticipation, not expectation. See, I want you to be excited for God to reveal to you what his plans are. You don't know what those are. But as soon as you start saying, no, I think I know what God's going to do, all of a sudden you're putting expectations upon God that he never said he was going to do. Let's be excited for God leading us. It's not cookie cutter. You don't know. The GPS isn't made for your life. You've got free will. There's choices to be made, and it's an adventure. And I want to be excited for whatever God would lead me into. So when I was at the Mayo Clinic, I was excited to see what God's plan for my life was going to be. There was going to be a further revelation that I got from that doctor appointment. And I'm happy to tell you that after going to the doctor, the doctor told me, In his words, I can't give you a better report, Alex. I said, what's that mean? He said, it means that your MRI scans came back clean, and I continue to see evidence of healing in your body. Come on, I'll take that. So I'm praising God for this revelation that I can move forward with confidence in my body, continuing to work properly. But if the report had been different, I would still have good news for you. 
I would still be praising God for revealing his will, and I may have learned what God's will is, that I'm going to walk it out with a body that doesn't function right. Either way, praise God for the revelation. So I want to live my life with more anticipation and less expectation. And so this morning, I think there's some things that we can learn about anticipation and expectation from Naaman's road trip to Elisha's house. Remember, Naaman's a doomed man. He has leprosy. Underneath his military uniform is the body of a leper. And though an unlikely voice, a kidnapped servant girl, he, that's the voice that says, hey, there's this prophet who could maybe help you. His name's Elisha. As wild as this story is, Naaman chose to trust the word of a servant girl, and he chose to seek help. And it was no small task. It wasn't like he was just going to go down the street to Elisha's house and knock on the door. No, it was going to require him to do a road trip from his country to a foreign country, to go through a land that thought that they were at battle with one another. And so to get help, Naaman committed to traveling over 100 miles to find the prophet. Can you imagine going 100 miles on a horse? Carrying 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and having some buddies with you. That's a trip. But he did it. And here was this thing. As he's on this trip, you can imagine if I had a lot of time to think in a vehicle these last two weeks. On a horse for 100 miles, you got a lot of time to think. And you know what Naaman was thinking about? He was thinking about what it was going to be like when he got to Elisha's. And he was beginning to build expectations. Not anticipation. No, no, no. He got specific about what he thought God was going to do. He got specific about what he thought Elisha was going to do. Here were Naaman's expectations. First, he thought he was going to actually meet this prophet, Elisha, face to face. He thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to meet him. I'm going to see him. It's going to be great. This guy's going to look so awesome. He's going to be like, if you met the president, like, there's going to be like power with this guy. This is going to be so good. And then this guy's going to be awesome. Elisha's going to have like some magical technique. He believed that there was going to be like this waving of his hand. He was going to say special words, abracadabra, no leprosy, no more. Like he had this in his head that it was going to be awesome. And, and, and he probably pictured that there was going to be this crowd of people because this prophet was awesome. Why wouldn't he have a crowd of people? And everybody would go, ooh. And then there would be fanfare and celebration and clapping and whistling and balloons if they existed. They would have this excitement. And so Naaman came to Elisha's house with expectations. He had imagined how the prophet would specifically heal him. And when things didn't go according to plan, he was mad. He was in a rage. He was upset because his expectations weren't met. What was his reality? Well, reality was Elisha never talked to Naaman. He never even saw him. Elisha sent a messenger to deliver a message uh, to Naaman, and, and it was a simple command that if you want to be healed, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. That was it. This is not going at all like Naaman expected. And, and so for us, we don't really think a whole lot about the Jordan River, but the Jordan River was famous for being muddy. It's like muddy, murky waters. I don't know if it was like the Missouri River or what, but like it wasn't a clean thing. Like you might be thinking, hey, is this environmentally safe for me to get into, especially seven times? Uh, the Jordan River would never have been called cool or refreshing. And so this command, it just, it didn't fit with Naaman's expectations. And this command was too simple. Just go dip myself seven times in this and I'm going to be okay. This is not at all like Naaman had imagined. 
And so Naaman was mad when the unknown became known to him. He, he reminds me of a child who's mad on Christmas morning. You know, the kid who asked Santa for something, and lo and behold, it's not under the Christmas tree. And he's mad because he expected it, and he didn't get it. See, Naaman traveled over 100 miles by horse to see Elisha. And, and we miss this because we don't understand the land in which they lived. But the Jordan River wasn't in Elisha's backyard. It wasn't like he could just step over and go get in the water. No, no, the Jordan River was another 30 miles away. Oh, I've already traveled 100 miles, Elisha. You don't even come to see me, and now you want me to go 30 more miles to dip myself into some dirty water? Uh. See, Naaman's expectations, his imagined specific outcome caused him to be infuriated. Now, if anyone in this story had anticipation, which is what I'm vying for today, if anyone in the story had anticipation, you know who it was? It was Naaman's officers who were traveling with him. You guys remember him? Uh, there's was, there was a number of them there in verse 13. It says, but his officers tried to reason with him, and they said, hey, you know, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. See, the officers didn't dream up in their heads what Elisha the prophet would or wouldn't do. They didn't come with expectation. If anything, they came with anticipation to see just what would happen to their captain's diseased-ridden body after a 100-mile ride on horses. I mean, they were excited for the unknown to become known. Would their captain be healed? Would their captain not be healed? Would the prophet have something amazing? What was going to happen? They didn't know, but they were excited for the unknown to be made known. Someone once said that faith that doesn't lead to obedience isn't faith at all. And I think that that is right on. Faith that doesn't lead to obedience really isn't faith at all. Naaman had placed his faith in a specific outcome. He had built his faith on an expectation, and his expectations and misplaced faith almost led him to miss out on the miracle that God had for him. D.L. Moody said of Naaman that he lost his temper, then he lost his pride, then he lost his leprosy. Faith that doesn't lead to obedience isn't faith at all, but every good thing God has for you is on the other side of obedience. And we find this pattern of required obedience over and over in Scripture. In John chapter 9, Jesus spit on the ground and he made this clay, and he anointed a man's eyes with it, and he told the man, go wash in the pool of Shalom. And the man went away, and he washed and came back seeing. The man was healed. Why? Because he obeyed. Luke chapter 6, when Jesus healed the man with the withered right hand, he asked him to stretch forth your hand, and he did. And when he stretched forth his hand, his hand was restored whole. The man's hand, why was it restored? Because he obeyed. John chapter 11, verse 43 and 44, Jesus tells dead Lazarus to come forth. And Lazarus obeyed the voice of Jesus and came forth. And in 2 Kings 5, Naaman finally obeyed God's command that was given through the prophet Elisha, and he was healed. Obedience is the key. Every good thing that God has for you is on the other side of obedience. 
Now let me ask this question. What would Naaman have needed to do to live with more anticipation and less expectation? What would he have needed to do? Because that's where we find ourselves. I think many of us have expectations that we maybe have unconsciously put on God of what we think our future is going to be or kind of almost what he owes us or how he's going to care for us. And we have specific outcomes that we're looking for from God. How can we undo those expectations and position ourselves to be excited for however he wants to lead us? See, I think for Naaman, he would have had to give up his dreams and hopes for his future. What he thought, what he dreamed, he'd have to surrender those to whatever God had for his future. And to do that, he would have needed to adjust his heart from wanting something, healing, to trusting someone. Am I here for what I'm getting out of it, or am I here for who God is? And see, today I'm encouraging you to live with more anticipation and less expectation. And here's the reason, because expectations can sabotage your future. See, growing up in the church, I would often hear people say that they're claiming the promises of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. And the phrase, I don't know, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. See, I believe that the Bible is full of promises, promises for God's children. But the promises of God are not some grab bag of goodies that you just get to claim. In fact, when we use the word claim, you know what synonyms of the word claim are? This is just looking online, looking in the dictionary. Here's some synonyms of claim. Uh, To demand, to exact, to require. I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable doing any of those things with God. The root that we find ourselves trying to claim something is actually rooted in expectations. I believe something's owed to me. In fact, here's the word, according to Cambridge Dictionary, claim as a verb means to demand something of value because you believe it belongs to you and you have a right to it. In other words, you feel entitled. So you expect it. This morning, I want to encourage you to drop your man-made expectations, the things you've dreamed up, because those can sabotage your future. And listen, there are some things that God tells us to expect. We heard a sermon last week. Jesus is coming back. You can expect that. Where did that expectation begin for us? Oh, Jesus told us that. We didn't dream it up. We didn't imagine it. We're not winning the lottery. Like, if God said you're winning the lottery, that's one thing. But guess what? He didn't say you're winning the lottery. So we build our expectations on what God has said, not on whatever we want. See, when we start imagining what we want and then start demanding or requiring God to do it, we're acting like we're God, and we're in charge, and he serves us, not that we serve him. See, we weren't created to be the ultimate authority in our lives. We're just not good at it. We always mess things up. We are way better. We were created to get off of the throne and allow God to sit on the throne. He gets to make the calls. And when we invite Jesus to guide and lead our lives and we give up our expectations of what we think he's going to do and not going to do, and we just have anticipation for what he might do, it's a way better disposition. So as we wrap up today, what if you began to anticipate more and expect less? 
What if you begin to look forward with excitement to the future God has for you instead of trying to control what that future looks like? Can you imagine getting rid of your expectations? A couple of weeks ago, I came across this video. It was too good. I had to share it with my wife. She said, Alex, you got to figure out how to get that in a sermon someday. I said, done. <laughs> in this video, it's a, a video of a boy who's on anesthesia. He just recently had his wisdom teeth removed, and the drugs had not completely wore off. If you've never seen these videos, they are amazing. But this video in particular was different than any I had seen. In this video, the boy is there, and his dad is talking to him. And his dad is sharing truths about the boy's life that the boy didn't remember because he's on drugs. And the boy's response to everything that he hears is so awesome. And the boy's response is the response that I wish that each and every one of us would have when God speaks into our life. When he says this, you are my child of God. I hope that we would respond like this boy. Prepare yourselves. This is good. Make sure it's got good volume up there. Turn this on for us. Is that a nice chair? Yeah. Yeah, is it better than the one you have at home? I have a chair. Yeah, you have a chair. I have a chair for myself? Yeah. No way. Remember mom and dad bought it for you. I have a mom? <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Who am I? <laughs> I'm your dad. You have two sisters, too. Yeah. Oh my god! Where are they? Well, they're at work. Oh they gotta work. I can't believe I have sisters! And you have a dog? Oh my god! Isn't that cool? <laughs> He's a big dog. Oh my god, I love big dog! Do you remember his name? No. What's his name? His name is Bane. Oh my god! The white bat! Oh my god, my life is perfect. Oh my god, my life is perfect. This morning, I want to encourage you to evaluate what expectations you're carrying. And with God's help, get rid of them. And approach the future with excitement and anticipation. And as your heavenly Father speaks truth over you, ah, oh, be as excited as that boy. Ah, oh, I have a heavenly Father. Ah, oh, I have a reward. Ah, oh, I can't believe it. It just kept getting better and better and better. Would you guys bow your heads? Let's take a moment today and we'll pray. Dear God, I pray that you would help us to lay aside the futures that we've imagined for ourselves, the selfishness that's crept into our vision of what the future may look like. And I ask God that you would position our hearts to desire whatever it is that you have for us more than what we desire. I pray that you would give us new desires in our heart and that you would help us to get off of the throne and stop acting like we're in charge, and stop thinking that we can make you do things and claim things and demand things of you. Lord, that's not our place. 
You are the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You are the one who calls the shots, not us. We are your servants. We submit. We obey you. And Lord, may we recognize on the other side of that obedience is every promise that you've made for us. I thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.